Hello, and welcome to the Occupied Thoughts podcast. I'm Peter Beinart, a non-resident fellow with the Foundation for Middle East Peace. Today is December 8th, 2021. I'm delighted to be joined today by Bahia Amawi and Gadir Abbas. Uh, Bahia is a speech pathologist in Texas who sued the state after losing her school contract because she refused to sign an agreement promising not to boycott Israel. That agreement that she refused to sign was part of an addendum to her contract, which was added when Texas passed a law against boycott, divestment, and sanctions of Israel and the territories it controls. Bahia won her case, and in response, the Texas government amended their anti-BDS bill so that it only applies to larger companies. That change makes it much harder for Texas Texans to challenge the bill, but does nothing to address the law's unconstitutionality. A few weeks ago, CARE, the Council on American-Islamic Relations, filed a lawsuit challenging the new amended Texas law. Gadir Abbas is CARE's senior litigation attorney and is leading the new case. I also just wanted to mention before we start that um, uh, if you're interested in learning more about these issues, I'd highly recommend the new documentary, Boycott, from director Julia Bacha and Just Vision. Boycott traces the impact of state legislation designed to penalize individuals and companies that choose to boycott Israel due to its human rights record and looks at the far-reaching implications of anti-boycott legislation and Americans standing up to protect our rights in an age of shifting politics and threats to free speech. I'm so glad to have you here with us today, Bahia and Gider. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Thanks for having us. Um, so Bahia, maybe you can just tell us this story um, as it unfolded for you. I'm just curious, did you kind of go to school one day to renew your contract as a, as a pathologist and you noticed that it was this new clause. Just tell, tell, me, tell us how the story unfolded. That's basically exactly what happened. It was beginning of the fall year, the school year starting, and I am about to renew my um, contract as I have done in the past nine years working with the same school district. And I signed the initial part of the contract, which is uh, I'm kind of a duplicate of the ones the year before. And I started working and then two weeks into the school year, I got to receive another um, another contract, an addendum, and even my supervisor has not seen it before. So she told me to look over it and um, to sign it. So as I'm looking over it, I, I see that clause, which asked me to confirm that I'm currently not boycotting the state of Israel, Israel or plan to boycott it. Um, and of course, I paused there and I, I, I didn't continue with the, the contract. Um, I contacted my supervisor and I told her I couldn't sign this part of the contract because it's against my values and against the constitution. Um, so she told me to cross over it initially, you know, like how we should do in contracts with something we disagree. And she said, so we'll try to work around it and she'll try to help me. Um, and after a few weeks, a couple of more weeks, she got back to me and she said, I tried to help you out, but unfortunately they said that if you don't sign this, you cannot return back to work. And literally that moment, I was not able to return back to work, even though I already had cases on my load and I had students already waiting for me. And just tell us a little bit about the work that you do with, with, uh, with in the Texas school system. So I'm the only bilingual Arabic speech language pathologist in the Austin surrounding area. So my job is extremely important because I service um, not only English speaking students, but I also service kids who have um, Arabic as their home language survey. And it's required uh, by us as speech therapists to uh, evaluate kids in their home language survey. So we can make sure it's not a dialect 
versus a disorder. So we can get appropriate services. So instead of them getting, you know, speech language um, services, they're getting ESL, for instance. So to differentiate between the two. So um, having a speech therapist who knows the language and is also, um, a, a, you know, professional in, it, in the field itself, it makes it much easier to evaluate the kids and make sure they get appropriate services. So I worked on, on an early childhood team with a, a group of other speech therapists and counselors and psychologists. And we would basically um, evaluate kids that come in with um, different um, issues going on. And I was the part that would, I would fill in the part for the, um, the Arabic um, students. So um, tell, tell us a little bit about why you felt like you couldn't sign this, this addendum. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot of reasons why I couldn't sign it. I'm not sure I just sum it up to you. But first of all, being that I am Palestinian, um, I, I lived in Palestine for a while and I spent all my summers in Palestine up to college, up to the years of college. And so I experienced the, the, the inhumane treatment um, by the Israeli government against the Palestinians. I've seen the daily atrocities that occurs. I mean, we'd be walking in the street and all of a sudden you would have a curfew placed on you. So wherever you are, you'd have to go back home. I mean, I remember one time my, my sisters and I would always go into the neighboring city to visit my aunt and uh, there was a curfew placed uh, on that city. We were not able to leave literally for a whole week. And so my parents were not able to contact us or anything. And that was just a minimal thing compared to what's happening nowadays. And of course, the security checks, um, you know, the constant raids. They have raids in the middle of the night where they come in and collect young children, usually boys, um, as young as 10 and 12 years old, and collect them. And I think that was the scariest thing. And we've had experienced that. And we've been um, shot at before, um, being spending our summers there. My brother, because he was a teenager, was always a target. Whenever we traveled in the car to Jerusalem, he was always picked out and, and detained. Um, and these are, again, these are things that we experienced. Um, and I consider minimal compared to what's happening nowadays. It's more violent, more aggressive. And, and, and so I, I couldn't be complicit to what's going on. I refuse to be complicit and be a partner to that and be silent. And, and having my kids as well being Palestinian Americans, I don't want them to grow up being vilified in this country, which is what's happening now in, in this country. And not only in school, in the textbooks where they falsely you know, have information about Israel being a democratic country and the Palestinians are the ones who don't wanna have peace. So I don't want them to grow up being in that image for them in, in this country as well. So I wanted to make sure wherever they inherit, they inherit something positive. And I wanted to make sure I do my best to uh, make it a, a good um, experience for them here living in this country. So after you decided not to sign and then you were no longer able to continue working in the, in the school, what happened then? Then I contacted CARE uh, immediately. I contacted CARE and um, they, um, gratefully, they picked up the phone right away and were on the case immediately. And literally within a week, um, I was speaking to Gadir and his um, staff. Um, and from there, yeah, they kind of just took everything and did everything for me um, and took care, took care of me. So Gadir, talk about the legal case that you assembled um, and how it played itself out. Uh, well, um, uh, you know, at the time that uh, Bahia was offered this contract, uh, Texas required every single independent contractor. So if you were the if you were coaching a debate tournament on a college campus, you had to promise not to boycott Israel. If you were a speech language pathologist, you had to promise not to boycott Israel. If you were an academic coming into 
um, uh, speak at an event. Um, uh, you had to promise not to boycott Israel. And, you know, a lot of people were signing these agreements. Uh, you know, I pro- we don't know the exact number, but in Texas, certainly tens of thousands of individual contractors and companies have signed these, what amounts to a loyalty oath to a foreign country over and over again. And the difficulty in these cases is not in whether or not they're illegal. Mm-hmm. Judges overwhelmingly, I think, across the political spectrum, th- there's a lot of support for robust, strong free speech protections. And I think that there is an effort to carve out maybe a, a Palestine exception to that, but there's a lot of resistance in that when, when we're going to court and when we went to court for, for Bahia, I, you know, the, the case that we point to as defending the right of Bahia and all Americans to boycott, it's, it's NAACP v. Claiborne. It's, it's a seminal civil rights case where a state government tried to criminalize a boycott and the lower courts said, sure, go ahead. You know, for all these people that were associated with the boycott, we're good. You, you can criminalize their behavior. And the Supreme Court said, absolutely not in the, in the grandest, most admirable idealistic terms that settled the matter. We thought settled the matter once and for all. And, but this emergence since 2015 of these anti-BDS laws has, has, has been, has posed a challenge um, to what has been strong, robust, complete protections um, for boycott activity. And it was the response of the federal court in, uh, in Bahia's case. Uh, the, the judge said, uh, uh, obviously, uh, this law was intended uh, to put Texas's uh, fingers on the scale um, of the public debate to skew um, uh, the terms of the discourse in a particular direction and penalize people for having those views or, um, uh, 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 you know, uh, participating in a concerted activity um, around BDS. And uh, Texas's response, I think, is telling because rather than defend the law to the appellate court, that the most favorable appellate court probably in the history of America, <laughs> the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, rather than defend it there, they just changed the law. And that has been a... Uh, they meaning the state legislature. Yeah, the state legislature amended the law so that it no longer applies to Bahia, the debate judge, the independent contractor as a single person. It now only applies to companies with 10 or more people, and the contract regards a particular size. I think it was a hundred thousand. So that made it that that mooted the case, made it impossible, it, at least in the court's view, impossible for the court to reach the merits about whether the law is permitted by the Constitution or made illegal by it. Mm-hmm. And I think they did that. I think they did that because companies have been asked to sign these laws since 2015 all across the country. And the Arkansas Times is one company that's filed a lawsuit. And uh, A&R Engineering, uh, Rasmi Hasuna's company is the other company that has filed a lawsuit. And that's it. And I think that 
it's it, it's it, it reflects the difficulty of entering this debate um, uh, and the reality that for some folks they can't leave it. Uh, but yeah, is Palestinian American. She can't leave the debate. Rasmi from Gaza can't leave the debate. And so, uh, you know, I think it, 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 this litigation is inevitable. Yeah. I want to hear a little bit more about the, the case, um, uh, Rasmi's case in the engineering firm, but, but Bihia, just to go back to, to your story. So once the law gets changed, you, do, you go back to school. How do things play out for, for you personally? Yeah, thankfully, my school was very supportive of us. Um, they actually wanted me back immediately once this is all resolved. And that's exactly what they did. The minute that uh, Judge Pittman ruled in our favor, they um, wrote a new contract and I was back at work. But unfortunately, it was the end of the school year. So <laughs> it was in May, I believe. So the school was ending. So I wasn't able to really provide any services or go back to work until the fall of the following um, school year. I would imagine that there are people that you work with in the schools who, you know, would not have been aware of this issue or maybe had not talked to you about these issues and that this brought conversations up that might not have existed before. And I'm just interested if you can talk a little bit of what that experience was like. Yeah, it's very true because I remember sitting there with my team. We were taking a break between um, the students. And I'm reading over the contract. I haven't signed it yet. I'm still debating what I'm to do. I'm going to call the supervisor and um, look. And I, I was um, looking at it and like, what are you looking at? What's happening? And I said, you know, I called my supervisor and I, I told her that uh, about this clause. And they're like, what clause you're talking about? And they so they quickly started looking at their contracts to see if it was present in theirs because they didn't understand what is the state of Israel has to do with being a speech teacher in an elementary school setting in Pflugerville, Texas, out of all places, you know? And they could not see a connection. Um, why is this here? Um, and so it did bring about a discussion and a lot of support, actually. Um, I received so many emails of support from everybody. Thankfully, I didn't have any negative um, experience going through this lawsuit. People understood that this is our constitutional right. This is, you know, America is about free speech is the fabric of this country. And many of us who um, immigrate from other countries, you know, we, um, we don't have that luxury in other countries. And so it's, it's really a privilege to be in a country where you can practice free speech and, and um, express yourself freely. And so people were baffled how this is happening. Um, and then when I returned back to work, I had um, people who I've never met before. I just kind of walk around the school. I don't really interact with them much. Like the janitor would say, well, come back to me, you know, or the secretary would come out from behind her desk and give me a hug. So it was, it was really a, a warm welcome and everybody was very happy for me for, uh, you know, for the result of what happened. Mm. Um, and I'm interested, you know, Texas is obviously known for being pretty politically conservative um, on, on this issue and, and many other issues. And I wonder if this experience gave you any insight into, um, uh, you know, into the openness of, of people to support Palestinian rights and, and about the, uh, you know, what it would take to change the, the larger debate and create more of a recognition about Palestinian, Palestinian human rights. Yeah, I think uh, in, individuals are really are opening up more, definitely. I think they are because luckily they're, it's not just mainstream media anymore that they have to depend on to get the news. With social media, you see a different view. Um, and so um, I think people are definitely opening up to that. And, you, and what was evident during the um, protests in May after the escalated violence and the 
expelling of Palestinians from their homes in May. And you saw a, a huge number of, of people come out, support us. And this, we had the largest protests ever um, in May from every single city in every state in this country and even internationally. Um, and so it was really, uh, you saw a different, a, a different outlook, a different change. And I was very hopeful that people are actually learning the truth despite the constant propaganda and the politicians spewing lies all the time and passing, trying to pass these laws to um, silence us. So I think definitely the, the game is changing. I, I think it is changing and people are open up definitely to more what's happening. Hmm. Um, um, uh, Gadir, so you found the, the law changes and then now it applies only to companies that have 10 or more um, employees. You found such a company. Um, um, so um, an engineering firm. Um, so tell, tell us a little bit about the proprietor of that engineering firm and what led him to decide to, to jump into this, into this fight. Yeah, well, you know, uh, Rasmi Hasuna, um, you know, grew up in uh, Gaza and um, got, a, I think it was a, a student visa to come study um, uh, in the U.S. And on his way out, you know, he uh, had to avoid uh, curfew and deal with um, the permitting that is so common for, for, for Palestinians that ever try to leave or ever are given permission to leave. But he came, made his way, arrived in Texas, and everything was wonderful and great, you know, uh, partnered uh, with... Um, uh, an, another engineer uh, started a company and a long, you know, almost 20 year long relationship with the city of Houston, providing permitting and construction um, uh, services, um, checking uh, construction sites. And it was great uh, and uh, fantastic. And uh, the contract, I think it re renews in four year cycles. And so they sent him a contract. Uh, I, I, this is, I think last month, they sent him a contract and uh, it, um, he, I guess he's among the 1% of people that read every word of the contract. Bahia is also <laughs> among that 1%, but he went through the contract, found this odd provision that asked him uh, to uh, promise not to boycott Israel. And, and he had the reaction that many people have in response to these things. What, what does Israel have to do with me providing construction permitting support services to the city of Houston. And so, you know, he explained, he explained in, a, in a, rather than sign the document, he explained in a, in a comment field, he's like, I'm from Gaza, my family is there. I cannot, I cannot promise to boycott Israel. I can't, I can't say these things. And the city of Houston looked into it it's, uh, and they said, well, our hands are tied, you know, sign it or don't sign it. And that's when he, um, he reached out to us and, um, we soon filed a lawsuit. And, and what's interesting, I think, and it's the same thing we saw in Pflugerville, it's the same thing we saw when we sued Arizona and we've seen a few other places, is that, that there's Pflugerville School District in Bahia's case wanted no part of the mess. They wanted Bahia there for their students. And it's the same with the city of Houston. The city of Houston wants no part of this mess. They want Rusmi and his company to keep on providing the services that they're providing. And so they're leaving the contract open, you know, and they've agreed to leave the contract open, providing um, uh, the judge an opportunity to intervene before he's affected, you know, whereas Bahia, um, unfortunately, although the school district was cooperative, you know, lost a few months of, of, of employment. 
So where do things stand with uh, Rasmi's case? December 21st uh, in, in Houston is the preliminary injunction hearing um, where we'll make the exact same arguments that we made in Bahia's case. I'm already very well prepared for it because it is, it's, there's no difference in the law. The only difference is who it affects. And, you know, Judge Hannon, uh, a, a very well-respected uh, conservative um, uh, judge is going to have the opportunity, as other judges have had, to weigh in on this matter of uh, significant <laughs> uh, public controversy. And we think that if we can convince Judge Hannon that it will show that even in the judiciary, across the political spectrum, there is robust support for, for keeping strong First Amendment protections and not establishing some kind of Palestine exception. Hmm. And can you talk a little bit about where things stand in other states? Are there other states where you've also had these successful challenges? Have they also changed the laws in order to, you know, uh, um, make them a little more difficult to challenge? We've had successful and unsuccessful challenges. Um, and earlier this week, we were in Richmond uh, at the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals on, on behalf of Saqib Ali, a former state of Maryland lawmaker, a Palestine activist who filed a lawsuit challenging the Larry Hogan, Governor Larry Hogan's executive order, who issued it after two years of failing to be able to pass an anti-BDS law in the legislature, really the only place in the country that had successful grassroots political opposition um, to anti-BDS legislation. And unfortunately, Governor Hogan found a way around it and just issued an executive order. So that case is pending in the Fourth Circuit. In the Eighth Circuit, the ACLU has a case on behalf of the Arkansas Times that we're waiting for a decision from the full Eighth Circuit. And that's a big moment. That's, you know, that's going to be full, full courts. Don't, they don't do that all the time. And for a conservative court to do it um, in this situation could signal either uh, a reversal or a full-throated embrace of, <laughs> of, of the First Amendment. Uh, and then uh, the Rusmi's case is, is, is per perhaps the other significant one working its way um, through the courts. And if you are success, I mean, since they, they, they responded to this last loss by tweaking the law, do you have a concern that if you win uh, again, that the law may be tweaked yet again in order to, in some new way? And how might that, what, that might, what might that look like? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, absolutely concerned that they're going to amend the law again. And they could, uh, they could be brazen about it and just increase from 10 employees to 50 employees mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and do it something, do it that way. Mm -hmm. There are, and we do have strategies and, I, <laughs> but well, I mean, one of the issues and one, one of the lawsuits we filed was on behalf of Abby Martin, a journalist, documentary filmmaker, Gaza fights for freedom in Georgia. And in that case, she lost the speaking fee that would have she would have gone. And it's a, you know, not not why she brought the case and a trivial amount of money, but it locks in the ability for us to adjudicate it. However, if we're trying to get like the damages for things that happened in the past, we're going to encounter this weird nexus of free speech, anti-BDS and qualified immunity. And so the question will be, will qualified immunity ultimately shield an adjudication? Of, so I just explained to folks what, what qualified immunity is. So qualified immunity is something that, is, like a, that judges created 
to when an officer or a government official makes a mistake to excuse that mistake and uh, allow and, and, and prevent anybody from collecting any financial um, uh, outcome from that government official. And that, that doctrine usually comes up in uh, excessive force, wrongful death when the police are beating somebody, shooting somebody, tasing somebody. It doesn't come up as often in the free speech context and has never come up in relation to these anti-BDS laws. And so it's this interesting question of, are these laws illegal? That's the question about whether it can persist into the future. And the question, are, is it so obvious that they're illegal that we need to penalize the people that did this? And we think that the answer to that is absolutely positively yes, that this was obviously illegal. And we think that how these cases have played out so far and will play out will end up confirming that. Um, um, well, this has been really, really very informative. Um, thank you uh, so much, uh, Bahiana Gadir, for our conversation. Uh, thank you to our listeners for tuning in to this episode of Occupied Thoughts podcast, a project for the foundation of the Foundation for Middle East Peace. I, I, it sounds like this legal struggle and this political struggle and this moral struggle is really is going to continue. So I hope we'll have the chance to to talk about it again. And I would encourage everyone to follow um, CARE's work in this regard. Uh, you can visit our website at fmep.org to subscribe to our many resources and find today's podcast episode posted along with links to additional resources about this topic. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Spotify. I'm Peter Beinart, and I look forward to the next episode. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.